1: Melanie Gibson came back to Taekwondo when her mind and heart were finally tired of fighting. Oddly enough, kicking and screaming in Taekwondo class finally quieted the kicking and screaming inside her soul and mind. It forced her to grow up. Melanie became more optimistic and laughed a lot more. She stepped up to challenges and no longer felt threatened or intimidated by the people around her. Now that she knew how to fight, she no longer went looking for a fight, She took charge of her life and refused to allow herself to continue playing the helpless and blameless victim. Melanie found a strength in herself that had been silent for too long. This very life-changing, wondrous experience has also sidelined Melanie with a very painful and very expensive injury. She did not plan to spend hours on the floor while a loaned-out machine bends her recovering leg back and forth. The fact is, Melanie got back into Taekwondo for her mental health, not her physical health. Valeria Tellis interviews Melanie Gibson, the author of Kicking and Screaming, a memoir of madness and martial arts. Melanie Gibson was raised in Snyder, Texas, and moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in 1997. She has a bachelor's degree in English from Texas Women's University, a master of library science from the University of North Texas, and an MBA from the University of Texas at Arlington. Melanie has worked in the healthcare industry since 2004, with roles as a hospital librarian, corporate trainer, and learning designer. Melanie continues to pursue advanced taekwondo black belt degrees and writes about martial arts and life in general on her blog, Little Black Belt. She lives in Fort Worth, Texas. Kicking and Screaming, A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts, is her first book. Meet Melanie at littleblackbelt.com. Here is the interview with Melanie Gibson.
0: In your own words, who is Melanie Gibson?
2: Hello, and thank you for having me on your show. That's a great question. So Melanie Gibson is a person who is seeking meaning in life, who has tried to find happiness in life and and is a work in progress.
0: I usually... Ask this question to my guests, not all of them, but some of them, about healing being a destination, if this is something, a place that we can get to where we can say, I'm finally healed or a process for life, a journey, a lifelong journey. How do you see healing, Melanie, in general? And what are some of the misconceptions we have about healing from your perspective?
2: Well, I like the way that you described it is sometimes it is a destination, and sometimes it's a process. And depending on the person's situation, it's either a longer process or it is a destination. So in in my case, for example, i'm I'm going through mental and physical health things in this past year. So with my physical health, I see that as more of a destination and at some point I will be healed and my body will be whole. With my mental health, that has been a much longer journey and I feel like that is more of a process. And uh, I think with some of the misconceptions is that once you are healed or you feel like you're healed, you'll never have that problem again and you're completely immune to it. We see this a lot with mental health issues. So the the self-care stops, maybe a person feels like they can't go to therapy again, uh, they don't do healing activities. And so people can get very frustrated with themselves when they think they are healed and then something throws them off guard and they find themselves needing to heal again. Um, but they're discouraged, they, they may be embarrassed about it. So I think More often than
0: not, healing is a longer process than we think it is. And when it comes to mental health, what would healing look like, Melanie? Do you have any idea or a vision for that?
2: I hope so, because I've been actively healing for the last 10 years. Um, I've had mental health struggles for most of my life, but I didn't start seeking help until I was in my early 30s and I'm in my early 40s now. So what does it look like is is self-compassion it's growing some some wisdom uh, some humility too is we may have to admit some hard truths about ourselves
0: so humility is part of that process as well talk to me for a moment about self-compassion and what does it look like for you for me
2: self-compassion has been some of that humility that i mentioned earlier and being patient with myself in the healing process and really committing to doing what I need to do for heal. And I'll give you an example. So I've been on this mental health healing journey for the last 10 years, but I did not start getting treatment for an eating disorder until early 2021. I've, I've had issues since I was 13 years old, but I always was in denial about it up until... Ah, uh, the early part of this year, until I started seeking uh, therapy again for for multiple reasons, twenty, 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one have been rough years, i I had to learn in a really basic way that eating a normal thing people do is really good for you. it It makes you feel so much better than the the restriction that I was doing. that was how my eating disorder was manifesting. And so doing simple things like that and making a commitment to take care of myself that has gone against the way I've behaved for the last 20 or 30 years was uh, a game changer. And it's, it was hard to do at first, but now that I've seen positive results, it makes me think, well, what else is possible? What other positive changes can I make in my life and what long lasting changes will those be?
0: And I often wonder what drives us to do the healing work. Does it always take suffering? Deep suffering has been my case too, going through a lot of change in order to learn and to commit to the healing journey. Can we somehow learn from others um, and become inspired and finally see the things that are not working for us so we can start to change? What is your um, perspective on that, Melanie, on doing the healing?
2: I like the idea of proactive preventative healing, just like preventative medicine. But I think most of us come from that place of suffering. I think that's just natural human nature that when everything seems fine, we don't really do the self-care or... Uh, the self-compassion that we think we might need in the future or that we, we eventually desperately need if we're in a place of suffering. So very often suffering drives us to those healing activities so hopefully and something that i think has come out of this pandemic is that people are recognizing that mental health issues can strike anyone not just people who may have chemical imbalances or they have a history of it but life can be hard for many of us and we can get depressed or anxious or angry and there are things and those are normal human emotions so I think part of it is just recognizing that that's part of being human too. And if we look at it as a, as a long journey of self-compassion, maybe that can prevent some of the suffering in the future. But yeah, I think just general human nature is we we suffer first before we start healing. But hopefully others
0: can learn from our collective experience. Spirituality. Do you have any uh, spiritual beliefs or spiritual practices, Melanie?
2: I think that's a work in progress too. So I was raised in a religion that I don't really practice anymore, although I, I have some things I hang on to that I, I like about it. Um, with spirituality, I've learned to trust myself and and believe that things will work out. Um, positive thinking seems to work for me. I don't want to pander to anybody or proselytize or push that on people, um, but setting intentions and trying to think positively or, or have a positive perspective about a situation, which sometimes is difficult, has helped me see positive results.
0: I connect being positive with being open, curious. That always leads me to this state of positivity. That's interesting to see. In my case, has that been your case too sometimes, that making that connection between being open and curious, or maybe even grateful, that's another Yeah.
2: Being grateful, expressing gratitude is a big one. Being open and curious has been difficult for me because I haven't always been very authentic in my life. And that's been a big journey I've been on this year is being more authentic. So for many years, I hid behind accomplishments and achievements like school and work to protect myself. That was how I coped with my mental illness. Some people act out in different ways. They harm themselves or they do drugs or they do other actions. And I took it inward and instead created a facade that uh, I hid behind just to protect myself from people. And Lately, I feel myself resenting the systems like work of, oh, they made me put up this facade, but no, they really didn't. And that's that's part of, I think, is self-compassion and humility is recognizing that I'm the one who built those barriers and I'm the one who told myself that I had to hide. So part of my journey is undoing those barriers and being more authentic. So back to your question about being open and curious. I think that can certainly help. And I'm I'm figuring that out now that being open and open about life, open about myself and curious about life can get me better results. Even in my work situation, I have been more open with my boss about how I'm really feeling and lo and behold, things are working out for me. I've, I've, people are listening to me. People want to help, but it took a long time convincing myself that I could open up to anybody.
0: That's interesting when you say that about taking responsibility. I do believe that uh, this idea that we create our own suffering most of the time, our own mental prisons and issues. But then there's the other side that we are in a way codependent with society's uh, ideals and ideas, concepts. And it's very actually easy and clear to see that when we turn TV on, mainstream TV. And then we see all these um, concepts, all these models of how to live and how to feel or not to live or not to feel. So I don't know how much of that we can take on responsibility that everything it's us. But yeah, do you want to make a comment about that, Melanie?
2: Well, I think you make a good point that Uh, There are a lot of expectations from society on how we behave. So like I said before, I I did put up barriers, but it was also in response to societal expectations. So I, I think at some point, yes, we do need to take responsibility for the choices we're making and how we're behaving. And we also need to recognize that there are forces beyond our control that are always going to influence society as a whole. And we may not be able to stop it one by one, but we may be able to change how we respond to those influences. If we choose to accept them or if we choose to reject them or ignore them completely, that's something that is within our control.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's an interesting subject. How much of our lives can we really live authentically without the influences of others and societies in trying to fit in? Do you wonder that sometimes?
2: Yes, I think so, because I, I think I've told myself over the years of, oh, I, I don't care what other people think about me, but I really do. If I look at how uh, just just the persona I've built up in the workplace over the last couple of years, of course, I care what people think about me. Getting over an eating disorder makes me realize, of course, I had, I bought into societal expectations of what my body should look like. So I was very much influenced by how I'm supposed to behave and think about myself and that's part of my journey of authenticity is rejecting some of those ideals and, and being brave about who I really am, accepting myself for who I am and, and being okay with being myself in the world.
0: How do you define true power as of today?
2: How, oh, Wow. That's a tough one. Okay. How much time do we have? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right. Uh, how, yeah. how do you find true power? <laughs> is is that can show up in people's lives in many different ways because we're all we all have different circumstances of the the situations we're in in life. So power can can look like different things. But I think if you uh, go back to choosing to first of all accept who you are with kindness and compassion, that's a type of power because you're not giving in to maybe negative emotions you have about yourself or societal expectations and also the power to say to the world this is who I am this is how I'm going to show up I'm going to be open and honest about my needs and so that I think can a lot of power can stem from that is being again being open about what you want in life what you need in life um to an extent what you expect out of other people, but, but we can't always control what other people do, but we can set expectations for how people treat us. So I I think we can all do that, but it just might look different for uh, the 8 billion of us on this planet.
0: What do you love most about being in a human body?
2: Wow. Being in a human body. And this is great, asking somebody who's getting over <laughs> poor body image and eating disorder problems. So sometimes I did not like being in my body. But I think the, the greatest thing of I mean, being alive is a pretty great thing of getting to experience life. Um, all the things a human body can do for pleasure, we can... Eat and sleep, and and maybe do do fun things. Do we can jump and run, or or some of us can, some of us can't. Uh, we could read a book. We can experience things with our senses, um, and and some people have different sensory experiences. I wanna I wanna be inclusive of everybody, but. Regardless of our abilities, um, we we can all experience life with our human bodies. Whatever is whatever we're capable of doing, whether we're full, fully able-bodied or or we have some differences, is that the fact that you're alive and you get to just experience the the simple joy of getting through a day is. Uh, I think that's where it starts, and then you could get into all the details of of all
0: the fun things you can enjoy in life. Thank you so much, Melanie, for that powerful wisdom just expressed about the miracle and of being a human body in the first place, that's already like to me, fantastic and amazing to be here now talking to you. It's uh, how can this be? How is it possible to be here now? I think if most of us had this understanding, this deeper understanding about what life is, then it would be very different, a different reality. For all of us, and another question I have for you is about freedom. What is your idea of freedom? What is to be free?
2: You're asking all the big questions today. <laughs> yeah. So
0: <laughs> the again, questions. what is it to be
2: free? Can can look very different for a lot of people. Um, I guess for me personally, being free is being able to again going back to authenticity of be who being who I am without fear of judgment or poor treatment from other people, or even if I do get judgment and poor treatment from other people, I don't let that stop me. So being free to do the things I love and partake in activities that I love to do. um, I think we're all kind of fighting for that, uh, especially those of us who are working is that um, time and and money can buy us freedom and, and freedom It looks different for many people, but again, I think it goes back to being able to enjoy the things we love to do in life. And again, if if people are negative towards us about it, we don't let that, that get us down.
0: So you wrote the book, Kicking and Screaming, a memoir of madness in martial arts. Talk to me about how you became a writer and what was the inspiration and the intention of writing your book. I didn't know I wanted to
2: write a book until... I had a book inside me that needed to be written. So I have had a a career in corporate healthcare for close to 20 years. So that being an author was not my first career. Um, I've always written. I've had a talent for it. I used to draw and I don't draw anymore, but I think that creativity just morphed into writing. And so I started a blog back in 2014 when I started doing Taekwondo training again. So Taekwondo is a Korean martial art, very similar to Japanese karate. I had done it when I was a child and I started doing it again in response to kind of my emotional rock bottom. In my early 30s, I was really struggling with my mental health. I was getting treatment for it, but that that just wasn't enough. So I turned back to a martial art that I had loved doing. And I was having a lot of insights about life and, and just my training. And so I started a blog and I got in the habit of writing about it. And then I realized, I think I have a story here. And that's how the book happened. And it, it is the story of me going from a white belt to a black belt, but also in, in a bigger sense, it's the story of my mental health journey of going from somebody who is um, throwing back whiskey and pills for dinner to being a confident, happy person. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't had some low moments after that. Getting a black belt wasn't magical. Um, but it gave me a lot of mental tools I can use when life gets tough. So perseverance and integrity and self-respect are things that I learned in my Taekwondo practice, but I take into other areas of my life. So that's what the book is about, is a journey from uh, a really broken place to feeling whole and confident and happy.
0: What came to be one of the questions that I thought about asking you is the difference between these different kinds of healing processes. You went through so many, emotional, mental, physical. So is there a difference between them, the healing process, that it's very different or somehow similar or maybe even the same, the journey process is the same for all of those?
2: I think we get a lot more sympathy for physical issues. So I'll share mine. Um, Most people who know me know this about me. I I tore my ACL in my right knee last year. So it's a big injury, requires major surgery and very long rehabilitation. I'm still, uh, you know, over a year later recovering from it. And I got nothing but sympathy and compassion and people practically bending over backwards to help me in my personal life and in my work life. Meanwhile, as 2020 continued and we got into 2021, my mental health took uh, not a nosedive, but it started to deteriorate. And I was kind of pushed back into having eating disorder problems that um, I hadn't really had for a while, but then they came raging back. And I felt like I had to keep that secret for a while because even though I even I work in healthcare, there is a stigma about having mental health issues. And especially I think we felt the pressure, even as a non-clinical person, that we had to be tough and we had to work really hard and get through this pandemic. So I felt like I couldn't share the anguish I was experiencing and, and the deep anxiety and depression at the same time meanwhile i'm still healing from my knee and i feel very open talking to any to, to anybody about that um, but i felt like i couldn't share my mental health struggles which were just as debilitating in a very in a different way of, of than it has been with my knee um, i finally just through some therapy and through really not being able to take feeling so alone about it. I had a conversation with my boss about it. Not all the details, but I just said, look, I'm struggling. I'm getting help for it, but I I need some help in the workplace. And I've seen some positive changes for that. Do I still feel like I can be as open about all my mental health problems as as I am with my knee? No, not so much. There's still a stigma in our society. I think that's starting to break down, but I think it takes people talking about it. I I see more celebrities being open about their mental health, which is great. And I think it takes more of us just being open and saying, look, these are normal health issues too, just like physical health problems. And the more we talk about it, the more empathy we feel and the better access to resources and care that we can get. What
0: is the reason for that, Melanie? Those stigmas around mental health? Oh gosh, so many. I think there's a long
2: history of poor treatment of of mental illness for centuries. I mean at one point had I been born hundreds of years ago, I probably would have been burned as a witch or <laughs> people would have thought I was possessed by demons. <laughs> so we oh, when you you yeah. can't see a, You can't always see a mental health problem or or you see the symptoms of it or you see behaviors, but you can't see it in the same way that my doctor could look at an MRI and say, "Yes, I see your ACL and it's torn." You can't do an MRI of my brain necessarily and say, oh, yes, I see bipolar disorder and depression and anxiety. And and if you don't see it, it's harder to believe it when people have that. So I think we could talk probably for an hour about societal stigmas and even in the uh, medical field, stigmas about that. But I think that's one of the big ones is that you don't see it in the same way
0: you can see a physical illness or an injury you said something interesting. The blog post that, that I read, you said, I'm okay with the way I feel and look. My body and mine have been through major crises in the last year, and they deserve some compassion as they both go through intense recovery. Here you are kind of connecting them again. The body and mind just going through challenges and um, the same way. And you also said something that uh, caught my attention. You said, I got back into taekwondo for my mental health, not my physical health. This was a statement uh, about being injured, doing what you love to do, something that helped you with emotional and mental uh, issues, but then um, then you got injured. How do you feel about that? What is your message for everyone who is really excited about something that they have found, that's helping them incredibly. But then we know that in life, life is not perfect, that anything could happen. What message or what vision do you have for this kind of, of understanding, going deeper with life and accepting everything and expecting actually things to happen? The word that comes to my mind is self-reliance
2: because, as you mentioned, taekwondo was really my saving grace, and I loved it, and then I got injured, and and right now I can't really do it. Um, I I will get back to it eventually, but I can't do it at the capacity that I used to right now, and so I have had to learn to cope and deal with life without being able to go do my favorite thing, and so that's not a warning to people, but just uh, some words from experience is that you can have relationships that really keep you grounded and activities and hobbies and passions, but also make sure this goes back to authenticity. You're okay with who you are because sometimes you'll find in life that things are turned upside down and all you have is yourself. So you need to get real with yourself. And sometimes that's all you have to rely on. So if the things you love are taken away, either permanently or temporarily get real with yourself and figure out how to get yourself through this difficult situation.
0: When it comes to eating disorders, Melanie, what is um, your best advice for those who are going through this issue at this time?
2: Oh, that's a good one because it took decades of being in denial to finally come clean and start uh, doing that. And I, I will say it is a process. And you may start to feel better, but you may, it'll happen at different times. So you won't feel magically better overnight. So I would say, trust the process, commit to working with a therapist, commit to healing activities. And if, if you're having trouble committing, go back to reminding yourself of why you're seeking help and seeking treatment in the first place. Um, it's, it's a pretty miserable place to be and it won't change if you don't decide to make some changes in your own uh, thoughts and behaviors and maybe in, in the other things in your life. So it, it is a commitment
0: that you have to make, but it's worth it. When it comes to recognizing, do do you recognize you had a eating disorder right away and it took years, months to finally accept that and, and do something about it? Or this is something that you just recognized when it kind of was um, you're already going through The whole issue, going deeper into it.
2: I didn't really accept it until a psychologist who was doing my intake conversation when I started seeking therapy earlier this year said, I think you have an eating disorder. And because I'd always told myself, oh, I've just got poor body image problems. I I sometimes engage in disordered eating, but I don't have an eating disorder. I was always in denial about that. And it really took. uh, So when I called for uh, therapy because I was just overall feeling pretty bad, they asked me about my eating habits and I was honest about it. I was restricting. I was obsessively weighing myself and tracking my exercise. And so we get into this conversation with this psychologist and that's when she kind of confronted me on it and said, I think you have an eating disorder. And so, uh, and I was up for it. I didn't say, no, I don't, because I'd already been honest about my behaviors. So um, it was kind of, it was very humbling at first, but it was also very helpful. And this was the same for me when I got my other mental health diagnoses 10 years ago, is that you could, now it finally had a name and it had a label and you could see what you have to fight. So recognizing that I have an eating disorder, which is a mental illness, and finding out that I'm gonna find ways to beat this was actually very motivating. So that that did, it was kind of scary in the beginning, but but just recognizing that and saying, I was able to start separating myself from the eating disorder that had controlled
0: me for so long. And this is such an issue, especially for women. Would you say that we are more affected by eating disorders and body image than men?
2: i I think so, just based on
0: what we see in the media. but it but it is interesting
2: because I'll have male friends talk about, the way they feel when they see actors or athletes with super toned, big muscly bodies. And so they feel like they have to take supplements and work out really hard and sometimes do some illegal steroids and things like that to get big and look like that. So there is pressure on men to look a certain way as well. But I think just historically, there's been a lot more pressure on women. But, but I don't want to discount that men can have body image problems and
0: eating disorders as well. Thank you so much, Melanie, for being you here today, authentic and speaking about all these topics, which is not easy to speak about and everything that you're doing, trying to help others. Thank you for your, your presence. Thank you. And I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything else?
2: Well, we've covered so many things. I'll just say the magic word for 2021 is
0: authenticity. Yes a billion times to that word. Yeah, the courage to do that. So a few more questions, the ending questions. Let me see. I have too many here. I'll ask you this one. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? Oh, that trying to be
2: perfect won't make me happy. In fact, it makes me miserable. <laughs> that has been the, the bane of my existence since childhood. And part of the problem with things like the eating disorder and my anxiety is trying to control and force things to happen the way they want or trying to portray myself in a perfect way just makes everything worse.
0: So I'm stopping. I'm trying to stop doing that. With that in mind, do you believe in unconditional self-love in that kind of practice? I think it's
2: possible. I don't think I'm experiencing it. Um, I don't know if I will. But I think it is possible in some ways It I don't know if we're necessarily we may be born that way. And we may feel that way as children. But as we we grow up and and uh, learn from others and have experiences as we start to feel very conditional towards ourselves. We're hard on ourselves and we're sometimes harder on ourselves than we are on others. So I think it's possible. Um, it may take a lot of undoing some habits to get
0: there. Mm, yes, a lot of undoing. That's an operative word. Yes. And what is another word for healing? Mm, what is another
2: word for healing? Let's see. Um, The first word that comes to my mind is journey, because it is a healing can be a destination, like you said, but it is also a process, a journey, and it is something to be enjoyed along the way. You can have little epiphanies and little happy moments or pleasures that you hadn't experienced before. And so if we rush to get to the end of our healing process, we won't gather all of those lessons and experiences along the way.
0: And two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing or leaving the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? I hope my boss and my coworkers aren't listening to this, but I'd
2: probably quit my job and, and just spend the time with the people I love. They're great, but I'd rather spend that time with my family and and my hobbies and
0: doing all the things I love to do. Yes, thank you for being genuine. Yes, beautifully said too. Why not? And my last question is: What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment?
2: Ah, three
0: things I know about life is one, it's full of surprises and that
2: can be good or bad. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> two, it's meant to be enjoyed. So let yourself do that. And then three, give yourself some grace and give others grace. So li- living life with compassion can be a, a really beautiful way to get through the world and get through this
0: life. Thank you so much again, Melanie. I uh, love, love how genuine you are, how fun you are, <laughs> too thank spiritual you. fun to me you are, and uh, thank you for everything that you said today, our conversation, what you do, and everything that could be felt too. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: So you can find me on my blog. It's called littleblackbelt.com. Just think of a little black dress. And instead, it's a little black belt. And I'm probably most active on Instagram. I'm at Melanie Gibson Author. So find me on my blog or find me on Instagram and Facebook as Melanie Gibson Author. You can find my book, Kicking and Screaming, A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts, on any bookseller. So uh, whatever bookseller of your choice That's the one to go to. It's very easy to find online.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk
2: soon. Bye for now, Melanie. Bye. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Melanie Gibson and her work, please visit littleblackbelt.com.